Welcome to Olga Davidson Awakening Podcast. Today's guest is Nicholas from the Wave and the Ocean Healing Community. He is a teacher, healer, life coach, and shaman who guides people all around the world. Tune in and enjoy this episode. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? How's it going? Very good. I'm How well, are you? Thank you. How was your meditation? Feeling good. Ah, it was good. I feel like lots of love in my heart today. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> So excited to share with our listeners all this energy and to have you as a guest. This is the first thing I'm doing today. Oh, amazing. Oh, thank you. Yes. So the first question I would love to ask you, if you ever had a moment of the awakening when your life was separated for before and after. Ooh, we're starting off strong, are we? (laughs) (laughs) It's a great question. Very Um, deep. (laughs) Yeah. It is deep. Thank you for that. I, I've had a lot of moments of awakening in my life, I suppose. But um, one of the ones that I point to started when I was very young. So when I was about 13 years old, I read a book called The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama. I'm not really sure even how I came across the book or why I was drawn to it, but call it destiny. So I just felt <laughs> that I was supposed to read that book in somehow in some way. And It really was meaningful to me. It impacted me in such a way that I remember finishing the book and leaving my bedroom and and going down the hall to tell my mom, mom, I'm going to be a Buddhist now. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, you know, I didn't actually become a full on practicing Buddhist, but it was the start of my studies of Eastern philosophy Mm. that I've been deep in for the past 21 years now. I'm 34 now. So that was about 21 years ago. And Yeah, of course, I've had experiences in my life as well that I would call awakenings of some sort. I've had a lot of experiences that you could describe as sort of shedding old skin, if you will, you know, Mm -hmm. going through that process of of the snake shedding old skin. But to me, that's sort of the first moment. And it also sort of coincides with this first sort of understanding that sort of first realization of consciousness that, that I am, that there's this thing called Nicholas, and it's somehow separate from everything else, but also Mm. connected to everything else. So that was a profound experience in my life to come in contact with with the Eastern philosophy. Oh, that's so amazing. Yes, that's interesting. Because in my childhood, I also I remember myself asking this question, who I am, just like short realization. Wait a second. This is me. And this is world around me. And how is this right where is this separation happening and why is it happening and i think i am the center of the world and there is like all these things around me but then there is other people who think that they are the center of the world and they see this world from the other angle it's such a deep thought yeah and uh, with the stop thinking about this you just start to live automatically and you just forget and then now I started to learn Advaita Vedanta through my yoga school and go deeper into this philosophy. And now I'm back to this question. There is actually three questions. It's Sat Chin Anada. It means mm-hmm. existence, being, and consciousness. And it's three different things. Right. 
And mm -hmm. uh, the border between these three terms is very tiny, but there is a difference. And, they, and everybody has a different perception of for each of them. Mm -hmm. This is so yeah, interesting to explore. So I am also a student of Advaita Vedanta. So it sounds like you and I have, have walked similar paths there. <laughs> but it reminds me what you were just saying. You know, we are the center of the world, especially well, in some sense, we are the center of the world. Each person is the center of the world and that we're consciously creating the world or unconsciously, but whether we know it or not, we're creating the world in some way together and, yeah. and individually. And you look at babies, you know, like you bring a baby into the room and like all the adults swarm in on the baby and surround the baby and they're looking at the baby. Mm. So the baby gets this reinforced sense that it's the center. Yeah. And I, I remember this Alan Watts quote that really spoke to me. That's like, if you watch, it's actually the part of the inspiration for my community, the wave and the ocean, that name was this idea that that Alan Watts spoke about and its idea from Freud that we're not separate from the ocean of consciousness, especially when we're babies. Like Alan Watts says, you can watch a ba baby reach out to touch the moon, not realizing <laughs> that it's separate from the moon and can't even yeah. touch the moon. And they say, you know, psychologists say that it's somewhere around age five and six where babies first start yeah. to individualize, to see this separateness, or at least the illusion of separateness, mm -hmm. right? And so... It's kind of cool how, especially in Advaita Vedanta, especially when we talk about non-dual philosophy, everything here in this universe is, it's yes, no, it's separate, but also connected. This illusion makes us fall into the thinking that we are separate and feeling that we are separate and this sort of self-other thing. But as we maybe fall into a, a spiritual study like Advaita Vedanta, mm -hmm. or you know, we start to explore our consciousness more, we kind of come back to the baby stage. We kind of start to realize that we are like a drop in the ocean, but also the ocean, yes. right? So yeah, it's all connected. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, we are getting born with this consciousness, pure consciousness, and then 90% mm -hmm. of who we are is already determined by before we are born. It's our name, mm. it's our family, it's uh, things determined by society, who he's going to be when he's growing up, he's going to be a lawyer or a teacher or a doctor, and uh, how you look like, language, and all these things already predetermined. And then on mm -hmm. top of that, we start to have all these fears and anxieties and all the other illusions. And a lot of people telling us, oh, who you are, you're not, you're not good enough for that. Like, why are you uh, dreaming so so hard you're not gonna yeah. get it and uh, this is really <laughs> destructive and then we spent all our life to take this skin out and like to reconnect yeah. back to our soul it's like the story about the golden buddha i recently mm. watched it it's so inspiring and uh, it actually it was in i think in thailand there was a huge statue of uh, golden buddha and uh, there was a war coming up and uh, people heard about uh, war coming up and they decided to cover Golden Buddha with uh, stone. So when invaders came in, they looked at this Buddha and they're like, ah, this is just stone. Like, we don't need it. We don't need to take it away. And uh, yeah. war was for a few years and then people forgot that it was Golden Buddha inside. And uh, after some times there was a monk, young monk, a boy, praying, uh, meditating next to this Buddha. And uh, he saw that a little piece of stone 
fell out and he looked inside and there was a gold and he called his teachers and other guys and they unwrapped it and there was a golden Buddha inside. And this is a good analogy for our souls and our spirits. We all are getting born with this golden Buddha inside of us. Mm. But then like on the top of that, we have all these illusions from society, from our own experience, fears, and uh, our purpose is to reconnect back to this true soul and true essence. That's such a cool story. Mm -hmm. That's, of course, that's what self-inquiry is all about, right? Like asking who am I and, and not you know, not saying like your name or where you came from or what, you know, what role you're playing, what your career mm-hmm. is. And yes, absolutely. Cool. And I would love to hear your story about your overcoming of uh, depression, anxiety, and uh, these dark places, because I know you've been there and it was something painful and hard in your life. But right now you inspire other people to go through that and to realize that it's all illusion. And there is no such things mm. as anxiety, depression, and fear. And just to fully leave, like how, what was your story and how did you overcame it? Mm, thank you for asking. Yeah, the, the key words that you actually said right there is go through it. You asked, mm-hmm. how did I go through it? And going through it rather than going around it was mm-hmm. the most profound lesson and I shouldn't say that it's a lesson as in like one day I just realized like oh okay that's the answer I have to go but you know a series of realizations over a period of time practicing learning from different teachers but eventually came to the understanding that my suffering has been and continues to be I won't pretend that everything is always you know I'm I'm always free from the illusion right that I don't have days where I feel anxiety or depression or things like that. It's very important for me now to sort of do this dance, this balance between embracing my humanity and human emotions and all of the spectrum of human emotions and seeing them all as part of the journey and and sacred, as well as also a form of of transcending the illusion that creates the suffering, right? The illusion that creates the separation and the division and the suffering. And so for me, my struggles with what would become over a period of years, depression, anxiety, physical illness in the form of Lyme disease, addiction. I was drinking alcohol six, sometimes seven days a week for a few years. Those struggles began for me around the age of 16 years old. First, I started to have my gut issues and my depression coincided around age 16. They both started at that time. And this was almost 20 years ago. We didn't know as much as we know now about the connection between gut health and mental health, right? And now it's like you hear people talk about it all the time. But back then, looking back now, it's such an aha thing, right? Mm -hmm. To be able to realize like, wow, of course those two coincided. I never knew it. But yeah, I started to have both of those experiences in my teenage years. And it eventually spiraled into intense anxiety and all sorts of challenging experiences, I can say. My way of relating to life, especially as I've come to discover that I'm a highly sensitive person, I'm a feeler, and I'm tuned into energy in a lot of ways. And again, these are all realizations that have come to me over the years. But back then, all I knew was that I felt a lot. I had a lot of strong sort of values 
and things that I really wanted to bring into the world and wanted to see in the world. I wanted to see more love and more harmony and more connection between people in the world. But I didn't know how to create that, first of all, how to be a creator of that. And I didn't know also how to relate to the darkness in the world, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if there was, because there is in some form evil in the world, right? At least in the illusion here. There are things where people are trying to create division, trying to create separation, trying to keep us locked in the illusion rather than realizing our true self, rather than discovering. Because for corporations, for example, most of them, it's not very lucrative for them to have us all realize our Buddha nature, the golden statue underneath the stone, as you said, right? So in any case, it, it was difficult for me in a lot of ways to relate to being an intense feeler and being a force of love in this world, but being around darkness and being around division and things like that. So I think some of the ways that I learned to deal with that, to survive, were to really attach to my own stories of suffering, Mm -hmm. were to really escape the intense feelings that I was feeling because it was my nervous system wasn't really ready to handle it and I hadn't trained myself to be able to handle it. So I escaped into drugs for a bit. I escaped into alcohol for a bit. I escaped into as much casual sex as I could find for a bit. You know, there were all sorts of ways that I found um, later on. Yeah, that I was, I was numbing. I was trying to numb myself to the intense feelings that come as part of this, part of this existence. And I think a lot of us do that. We all find ways to distract ourselves from feeling um, rather than moving through the feelings. Mm -hmm. So the most profound part of my journey has been probably over the past five or six years, especially I've really gotten, I'm so anti self improvement and we could have a totally different podcast, of course, about Mm. what the self is and whether it can actually be improved and right. Like, am I the one doing the improving or am I the self that needs to be improved? Right. There's some weird disconnect to even assume that there's something called self improvement. But moving more and more in my life towards radical compassion for myself, radical self-acceptance, sitting with my emotions, however they come up. You know, if I wake up one day and I feel anxiety, for example, however that might present itself, learning to sit with that and breathe into it and ask it what it's trying to teach Mm me, learning that my physical illness was all messengers was all you know all these symptoms are like things that are trying to teach me where i'm living in alignment with my values and where i'm not um that's been the most profound thing for me and so now you know in the past few years that's my focus with other people i'm teaching people to discover that golden statue underneath all the stone it's not about i do call myself a healer but it's not that i'm healing people and it's not that they're even, you know, it's not that we're broken or we need fixing or that we're moving towards wholeness. It's a remembering. It's a remembering of our wholeness. Mm-hmm. It's a remembering of that Buddha nature that exists underneath all the stuff that we take on through life. And, and ultimately, for me, it's about embracing and accepting and knowing that in some sense, in the most real sense, I should say, we are living in an illusion where separateness is this thing that we feel even though it's not true and we can inquire and discover how that's not true and at the same time 
here in this illusion, we do feel emotions and we do have relationship with all people and all things and all beings. So that's kind of the dance for me is like guiding myself and others more and more to be human and to mm -hmm. enjoy the process of being human and to be more inclusive, to allow for all of the different spectrum of emotions, all of the different opinions that people can have, all the different beliefs. And when I get triggered by someone else's opinion that's different from me, rather than push it aside, I try to bring it into my field and say, okay, mm -hmm. I, that's something real. That's what they feel. That's their truth. And when I feel anxiety within me, for example, I don't say, oh my gosh, get this away. I don't want to feel this. This is bad. How can I transcend it? It's like, okay, how can I be inclusive? How can I bring this in? Mm -hmm. And, and to me, that's, to me, that's liberation, right? It's about feeling empowered to deal with whatever arises here in this life. I love your comparison of exclusive and inclusive, just like exclusive, mm. trying to run away from your feelings, from your uh, troubles, from your uh, worries. And the other one is inclusive, try to embrace it and uh, mm. live through that. And uh, it's really important because a lot of us are pushing this away and then our body starts to signal that something is wrong by making us sick. And uh, our body is trying to communicate with us that we need to do some work and we just like buying pills, artificial things to numb it even more sure. instead of going through. And this is a really important thing to realize that, that it's not just out of nowhere it comes from somewhere which you didn't right. accept yeah and even spiritual studies can be a way to escape studying without practicing is, mm -hmm. a, is a really common thing um even some of the terms that are used a lot of times in the spiritual community you know like the love and light thing you know love and light is beautiful but when you hear things like love and light only good vibes only you know mm. that to me that's a red flag right away because that's exclusive spirituality you yeah. know that like the bad stuff and i'm putting it in quotes here because you know it's just something that we perceive as bad again those are signals those are messengers to point us to more and more to that aligned path for ourselves so mm -hmm. yeah and that's that's a big practice for me is finding ways to be inclusive in my spiritual practice yeah Tell us, please, a little bit more about your practices, about your healing experiences, and uh, what tools do you use? Mm. Okay, thank you for that. So my, my deepest spiritual practice is kind of two things combined, but meditation for one thing. So spending every day in meditation, that's like a non-negotiable for me. Someone said, and I, I don't remember might be a Zen proverb, but someone said meditation is simply the way the Buddha sits. So <laughs> I remind myself that we have a tendency to, especially nowadays, everybody's telling you, you got to meditate because if you meditate, you're going to have more productivity, you're going to have more peace, you know, etc. Um, I try to meditate simply because that's how the Buddha sits. So I'm not doing it to achieve any specific goal, but it's a part of my spiritual practice to wake up in the morning you know, as you know, I just meditated right before our mm -hmm. call because it's early in the morning here for me. And that's sort of a non-negotiable part of my day that it's rare that I miss it. It's really rare that I miss it. You know, maybe I'm traveling and I just can't or something like that. But when I do, I notice 
a profound difference in how I approach life and even how life approaches me. And it comes sort of down to my capability of, again, of being inclusive about life, of approaching all of the different sort of, you know, little annoyances about life that might pop up. I'm able to see them and laugh at them and enjoy them. I'm able to, you know, that person who cuts me off in traffic, I'm able to see that they're also God and, you know, oh, thank you, God. Thank you for cutting me off and annoying me and showing me how I still get annoyed. You know, that's if I meditate, that might happen to me. Whereas if I don't meditate, someone might cut me off and I'm like, oh, you you jerk, you know, something like that. It's a very different response within me. So meditation does bring a lot of awareness to my life, which I think is very Mm -hmm. important, you know, just to be able to see with clearer eyes and react accordingly. But in my own practices, besides meditation, spending a lot of time in nature, I often meditate in nature, but spending a lot of time in nature, that's another sort of something that we can go into a lot of detail about, but you know, the we are nature, right? Mm -hmm. So spending time in nature is sort of like a misnomer, like this idea (laughs) that like, I'm, you know, here in the house is is somehow just as much nature as the forest, but I like to get into the forest. I like to be near the water. I like to learn from nature and observe the patterns of nature, you know, Mm -hmm. and observe that there's, that nature doesn't really fight the changing of the seasons, right? That there is Mm -hmm. very much, just like we were talking about the snake and shedding old skin, you know, nature realizes and works with this process of death and rebirth, this constant process of death and rebirth, and how destruction is just the other side of the coin from construction, right? If I take a piece of paper, and I rip it in half, am I destroying a piece of paper? Or am I creating two pieces Uh of paper? I love it. (laughs) And so I learn a lot from nature. Thank you. I learn a lot from nature, just watching and observing and sitting in silence. And some of my spiritual practices, if you will, don't look as, as necessarily spiritual as one might think. You know, one of my biggest spiritual practices is keeping my phone in airplane mode as much as possible, mm-hmm. just not using it unless I need to use it. And certainly not first thing in the morning and certainly not right before I go to bed. But that's, that's a spiritual practice for me is to limit the input. You know, if you go to a monastery, for example, where people are really diving deep into their spiritual practice or an ashram, one of the things that they're doing is they're spending most of their day in meditation and prayer and limiting external input and silence, external input, they get silence, right? So creating silence within our lives creates space within our lives. I happen to believe strongly that a lot of the, the pathologies, the sickness physically and mentally and emotionally comes from too much noise, too much stuff being held within Mm -hmm. our fields, and not enough space for things to move, you know, things get sort of stuck within us, because there's not enough empty space in there to move around. So creating silence in my life is a good way to create space. And when I create space, I create room for healing, I create room for the stuck things to move around. But I'm also, more practically speaking, I'm a student of the Inca energy healing tradition. So my teacher is Don Alejandro Apasa from the Queros Nation. I have to name him because he's a beautiful, profound impact on my life. And um, I've been working with him for the past year now, as I found myself more and more drawn to the mystical healing path. So my work in that field involves a lot of 
it's an earth-based healing tradition. So I spend a lot of time communing, literally speaking to mother nature, speaking to the trees. I go out a few times a week and I try to visit sacred sites around my area. I have a homework assignment now to visit my birthplace, the mm-hmm. hospital where I was born. I'll be going wow, there Friday because um, yeah, he instructed me, you know, and I have no connection to it. I have no connection to that hospital. It's it's 25 minutes away from where I am right now. So that's great. But um, I have no connection to it. And that's part of the reason it's my homework is to reconnect with mm-hmm. this place in the earth where I popped out, wow. was born from where Mother Earth decided to push me out of her womb. Right. So um, there's a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm offering, I'm giving offerings to Mother Earth. I'm building offerings to Mother Earth. And I'm working in that tradition to heal others as well. I'm guiding others to sort of reestablish, to ground themselves in this human experience. And that's what kind of is like the great complexity of my life and sort of embracing the complexity and the infinite nature of life for me is all summed up in that one thing where I'm a student of Advaita Vedanta, which is a non-dual philosophy, which asserts that everything is one. And you Mm -hmm. and I are, you know, that like, you're a sweater and I'm a sweater, but we're both made from wool. Everything is made from wool and it might appear as a sweater or pants or this or that. So that's Advaita Vedanta. And on the other side, my role in this life, because we do choose a role here in the illusion, my role is as a, I don't like to use the word shaman because I don't work in in altered states of consciousness. So this is a mystical tradition, Mm -hmm. my nature-based healing path. That's a very dualistic path. It's working with the energies of the feminine and masculine. It's Mm -hmm. working with, so to speak, light and dark energies, heavy and light energies. So this is like this big sort of spiritual conundrum here that like, you know, I'm, I'm both a student of the non-dual and the dual philosophies. I and, love it. you know, that creates this in sort of inherent contradiction, you would think. But in my experience, it's not at all. It's mm-hmm. not at all true. The dualistic perspective is just one way to view this experience. So is the non-dual. And the truth is, the truth with a capital T is no matter what you really think about the nature, the ultimate nature of this reality, you're probably wrong, <laughs> right? <laughs> we can only know, we can only know so much. And when we try to focus so much on like, what is it? What does it all mean? You know, we're missing the point. We're missing the point that we might not know exactly why we came here. We might have a lot of different viewpoints and I've heard all sorts of du- viewpoints and some I resonate with more than others. But at the end of the day, does it really matter? We're here. We're here in this human experience. And so that's my journey now has brought me to a place of really, really connecting to the earth, connecting to my humanness and connecting to this world and stepping deeper, deeper into my role in this world. Because while I'm here, I might as well play a role. And some people choose to be bankers. Some people choose to be lawyers. I choose to be someone who offers prayers to Mother Earth and prayers for myself and for others for our individual and collective healing. So I don't know if I answered your question because it's one of those questions that I can go in all sorts of different directions, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but that's what my spiritual practices look like. and, And that's what my healing work with myself and others looks like. So many thoughts I had while listening to you. 
And uh, uh, one of them is related to the program I currently take in. It's uh, optimize.me and it's a life coach pro program. So at the end of this program, I'll become life mm. coach for others. And uh, one of the things, and it's very Woo. structured. Yeah, I'm so excited for that. Very structured, certain ways of acting, certain results you'll have. And your perception is very spiritual and a uh, little bit of... Uh, Advaita Vedanta, Buddhism, and uh, connecting to the earth and all these things. But it so interacts. For example, you said about meditation, and uh, he's also talking about meditation. And one thing is, if you don't have time to meditate, that means you need to meditate. <laughs> it's a like, red flag that you need to meditate if you don't have time to right. meditate. It's a big sign you have right. <laughs> to slow down. Then for meditation, he, mm. he meditates for over five years, nonstop, every day. And uh, his secret of how he's not missed a single day is that he has micro habits. So for example, if you are not able, sometimes you travel and you're not able to meditate for one hour, but you always have one minute. You can have a micro version of your habit, which mm -hmm. you want to develop in yourself. And you can be like, okay, today I can't dedicate one hour, but I can dedicate five minutes or even one minute and just take a few deep breaths, connect and to feel the presence of being here and now. And uh, the other thing we talked about is the digital sunset and uh, cutting off using of internet. Uh -huh. So he has this digital sunset. When sun goes down, he puts phone away. And he says, like, the worst thing you can do for your mind is to take right. your phone first thing in the morning. That's the worst. It's like very sacred space and place of mm -hmm. your mind, which you should use for things like meditation or even the moment between you awakening and you awoke is really special. And I was reading another book about concentration and meditation by Swami Shivananda. And this is a very magical moment. If you really get into that, you will be able to even control your dreams in the night and, like, and cut off your dreams because uh, it's also mind wandering. It's not uh, dreams. If you dream too much, it means your mind is too active in the night. So all of these things are actually very practical for everyone, even if you're not too spiritual, mm. it's still really, really practical. Yeah, so it's so helpful. And also to yeah. take phone and away. I connect, I connect to a lot of that. Yes, yes. And uh, that's why I attracted you. <laughs> I found your profile and I was like, this of is course. my guest. <laughs> of course. I can't wait to interview him. Yeah, and another thing, when you are in any type of circle, just with your family at the dinner or on a date with your partner or with your friend, you just have tea or coffee, put away your phone. It's so mm -hmm. irrespectful and you're not there. And there is even statistics. If you have your phone on a table, your IQ goes down by 10%. There was oh, tests. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, if you take tests and your phone is next to you versus it's not there, your performance is 10% less, which is incredible. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. I believe that. it. Mm -hmm. Of course, yeah. Also, I would like to ask you about such tool as CBD oils. I was exploring ah, your okay. website and I'm like, oh, organic CBD oils. It's interesting because it, it may be a good tool for relaxation and uh, anxiety 
relief. And uh, I remember we were in Costa Rica recently and uh, we found this kombucha with CBD oils. I was like, wow, this is genius. <laughs> so perfect because we don't drink alcohol <laughs> and uh, it's very hot there and you always crave for this refreshing drink. And we discovered that and it was great. And uh, I told my husband that we must start doing our own kombucha homemade and just get some high quality yeah. CBDs and I know you have access for them. So I would love to learn more. Sure. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know. I fell in love with kombucha a number of years ago when I stopped drinking kombucha. And I, I found out later, like a lot of former alcoholics or people that used to drink a mm -hmm. lot and are trying to stay away from it. They're drawn to kombucha as well because it has that sort of fizziness that yeah. at least beer has, for example. Like I always loved beer. So mm -hmm. there's something about kombucha that like that Ferment fermentation, fermentation process. Yeah. Right. And um, yeah, it's great. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> but as far as the CBD oil goes, that's another thing where everyone's got, you know, different values and different opinions. I'm increasingly drawn away from pharmaceutical medicine and the pharmaceutical right. industry in general. That's just where I am. In my own life and in the life of, you know, I have some family members who deal with pretty advanced illness. You know, my father has Parkinson's, for example. He's on a lot of different pharmaceutical medicines. If I was in charge of his care, 100%, I would, I would get him off pretty much all of it because mm -hmm. I don't see true healing happening with yeah. it. And I've taken things. I took things for depression in the past, many years ago. But in any case, I don't personally see a lot of true long-term healing coming from the pharmaceutical industry. I also don't think it's in their best interests to create long-term healing in people because then they lose clients. So I, I have to be upfront about, you know, that's, those are my beliefs, right? And I am a believer in plants. I am a believer in herbs. I'm a believer in nature and its healing power. And that ultimately most pharmaceutical drugs are taken from nature. And they're, you know, they're derived from nature and they're distilled down or they're concentrated or they're this or that. We take one compound in a plant that has a ton of different compounds and we, you know, we concentrate it. And then all of a sudden we have cocaine when the coca leaf is actually a very healthy thing and you chew it and it's, it's good for you. But, you know, if yeah. you drive this and you concentrate it, you get cocaine and it, we know it causes all sorts of addiction and, and struggles. Uh -huh. So for me, that's my way of saying that I've had a relationship on and off with marijuana at different times in my life. I'm currently not smoking it, but I also see its value and I see its benefit. And so for me, for many years, it was something that did help with anxiety. It helped to bring me to a more calm and relaxed state. And so I value the plant highly for its medicinal purposes. And of course, studies have been done. It's got a ton of different medicinal purposes for me in my own life. It helped me a lot with some of my anxiety and depression symptoms. That being said, I told you I struggled with addiction. I have sort of an addictive personality in general. So I found myself smoking marijuana so much that it started to cloud my vision in some way and cloud my spiritual practice in some way. Again, it became a numbing agent for me rather than medicine because mm -hmm. I was doing it so frequently for a while. So that's all sort of a segue into CBD because marijuana and cbd are different cbd is a compound that is found cannabidiol it's a it's a compound that is found in the marijuana plant which is the female version of the plant and it's also found in the hemp plant which is the male version of the mm -hmm. plant 
And so hemp is like super amazing because hemp is non-psychoactive. It's so nutritious. Of course, hemp seeds are amazing for you Mm -hmm. and hemp oil is amazing for you. And hemp oil is ultimately what we're talking about when we talk about CBD. Yeah. And hemp can be used for paper. They've got concrete made out of hemp, you know, that they can build houses with. Like it's an amazing, amazing plant in so many different ways. Truly amazing. And it also has such a long human history. You know, like how we're so, there's such a connection between humans and dogs. There's just Mm -hmm. like that connection there. It's the same with the cannabis plants, both the male and female versions of the cannabis Mm -hmm. plants. You've got the female version, you take the flowers and you smoke them. And that's what people call marijuana and it's psychoactive and it gets you high. And and I'm not here to say that's bad or good, but the male version of the plant, which we call hemp, doesn't get you high. It doesn't have THC in it, or it's got like a tiny, tiny, tiny amount. So it, it doesn't have any psychoactive effect. It won't get you high but it has all of the same healing properties Mm -hmm. of that cannabis plant. And so that's what CBD oil is derived from. And and there's also other compounds as well. There's CBDA and there's CBG and there's all these things. So you can get a full spectrum hemp oil as well. But yeah, you know, all of these different studies have, I'm not going to tell you that CBD is going to cure everything and that it's, you know, I'm not going to make false medical claims here because we know I can't do that, but I've used it in my own life to provide a little bit of calming relaxation within my life. It's not something I'm using every day now. I use it more as a a situational basis. I'll use it for a few weeks and then go off. But I've used it to create sort of calm in my life without any sort of psychoactive effects. Uh There's studies that have been shown that it's good for, for heart conditions of all different kinds. It's good for sleep, you know, it improved the sleep quality of people being able to go into deep sleep and Mm. get good quality sleep throughout the night and a bunch of other things that, you know, I am not an expert in it, so I can't rattle off all the different studies off the top of my head, but it truly to me is a very powerful medicine. Yeah. So I've used it in my own life and I've used it with my father and watched it improve his quality of life with Mm -hmm. his Parkinson's symptoms. And with a lot of my friends and family and all sorts of people in in my online community, they reach out about it because they're curious. And a lot of people have become sort of huge fans of it, I would say. And all I want to point out is that these days, like you said, you found some kombucha with some CBD oil in it, which is super cool. Whenever there's something that's promising as a medicine, the corporate culture and the consumer culture Mm. jumps right on it and finds every way that they could just mass market it, create it for as cheap as possible, and even grow the plants in ways that are violent. You know what I mean? Really Mm. trying to extract the most they can out of the plant and not grow it in a healthy way with love. So it's important, I think, if people are going to, you know, if they're curious about CBD, to do a little research. I've done a lot of research about all the different companies. Mm -hmm. There's tons of different good ones and there's way more that are really nasty and they're offering like kind of a garbage product. That's not going to help anybody in any way. So the one I use is called CBD pure. Yeah. I love the company. They have like amazing support and they're always able to ask everyone, answer anyone's questions and they do third-party laboratory testing. So it's all like clean and hundred percent organic. And I really love that company. So I don't like promote them hardcore, but whenever people ask me about CBD, that's the company that Mm -hmm. I point people to. 
And I also have an affiliate link where people Amazing, that, yeah. that buy through me, they get a 15% discount. So Yay. That's, that's what I would guide people to. Yeah. If anyone's Amazing. interested. Yeah. We'll include the link yeah. to the notes of this episode so sure. people can follow and uh, purchase. I would love to order some because I would order it before, but I was not sure because I know there is a lot of sketchy companies. So I'm glad I found uh, sure. your link. Yeah, I'm definitely going to use it. And uh, I think it's a good yeah, tool. Yeah, I'm curious to see how it goes. Yeah, in each, I think it just has to be in each person apothecary. I have mm-hmm. my shelf with all the tools. <laughs> if, if I ever get sick, there is no pills from pharmaceutical companies. There is just a mm. box of essential oils, 12 different things for 12, the most common issues. And uh, I also have barberine in case if I overate, so I need to lower my glucose level, I have barberine. So it's uh-huh. all like herbs, lots of herbs, lots of oils, and uh, I'll add some hemp oils there as well in forms of CBD. That's, I that's think great. that's really good, especially if you need to have this quick sleep. <laughs> if you have a short amount of hours in the night and you were overstimulated during the day and you need to go really into deep, efficient sleep and then go and be productive next day, I think it's a great tool to have. Yeah. And safe. I think that's an important thing too. It's, it's not like taking a sleeping pill where it knocks mm-hmm. you out, you know, and you're just like ah, yeah. for the whole night. It's just like a gentle way to calm the nervous system. Any other plants you use for healing for yourself or for your clients? Yes. The one plant that I use, I shouldn't say a plant, it's a mixture of plants, but I use the sacred Amazonian snuff called rape or hape. Oh, well, I would love you're to hear about in, that. In Spanish mm-hmm. or Portuguese. Yeah. So um, that's something that I discovered about three years ago now. And that's something that I use before my meditations and sometimes mm-hmm. with clients as well before their meditation. So what it is, and this might be kind of wild for people who haven't heard of it, but this is one of the few plant medicines that I use a semi-regular basis. And it's just so profound in its ability to ground me and connect me into exactly where I am. You were talking about those micro commitments. I'm a huge believer in those even if you're standing in line at the store, right? You could either take out your phone and mess around or you can close your eyes and and be mindful of where you're, or even with your eyes open, right? You can be mindful of where you are, be present. So I'm a big practitioner of mindfulness and being grounded into the present moment. So I find that this collection of plants is a huge way for me to ground into exactly where I am and how I am when I go into meditation. So what it is, there are multiple tribes throughout the Amazon that use this. Like I said, mm-hmm. it's called rape in Spanish or hape in Portuguese. And different tribes, of course, have their indigenous names for the plants as well. But it's usually a base of wild tobacco. There are two variants of tobacco. There's the stuff that we grow up here in the States and in other places and is usually just grown in the worst ways and sprayed with pesticides. And And then there's wild tobacco, which grows in the forests of the Amazon. It's called mapacho in Spanish. And it's a really powerful plant. It's actually considered by multiple tribes to be the grandfather of all plants, Mm -hmm. all throughout North and South America, even like Native American tribes in North America also call tobacco the grandfather plant. And we know that tobacco has gotten a bad reputation because of the way it's used, right? And putting it into cigarettes and everything. But the tobacco plant has all these healing alkaloids in it, Mm -hmm. which are really powerful. 
So they take that and they grind it up and they mix it with different other ashes of other flowers and tree barks or different medicinal plants that they know in their cultures. So there's all different blends of it, but it's usually a tobacco based mixed with other plants and flowers and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it's like a very fine powder and either with a self-administrator or with a long tube, you actually blow it up into your nose. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a different experience than most people are used to, right? At, at first, it's kind of a jarring experience to shoot something up your nose, right? But that allows the tobacco and these other healing medicines to cross the blood-brain barrier and sort of enter the brain and enter into the central nervous system. And so you might have a little bit of reactions to it. Sometimes as you're getting used to it, you might have a little bit of tears. You might Mm -hmm. release a lot of mucus from the body. I've even had times where I've almost vomited when I was first taking it and I would take maybe a lot. So it it has like some purgative effects, but that's the most profound thing about it for me. It's cleansing. It like pulls a lot out of you. And like, I always, not always, but like whenever there's a lot of mucus in me, I'll find out after I take rape and like a lot of mucus comes out and afterwards I'm breathing clearer and I feel more energized. It's even something that different tribes would take sometimes before they went on a hunt to -hmm. give them clearer vision and really like tune them into being able to track the animals. So for me, it's like one of the coolest ways. I don't do it every day before my meditation, but maybe two or three times a week, I'll add rape to my meditation where I'll sit with that for a few minutes. I'll do a short prayer. And then, yeah, I shoot the tobacco into my nose (laughs) Um, and it's beautiful. To me, that's the most beautiful plant medicine that I use on a consistent basis because it's just so grounding and I'm able to go much deeper into my meditations whenever I sit with that. I really, really enjoy the process of learning from this grandfather plant, the tobacco. Yeah. Mm. I have so many questions about that. <laughs> so first of all, I would love to share my experience with you. And yeah, uh, when the first time, not the first time, second time I had my ayahuasca ceremony, I had four ceremonies. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, the shaman used tabaka before and after mm-hmm. ceremony to clear right. mind. The shamans in jungles used ayahuasca and tobacco for hunting, actually. Mm-hmm. Ayahuasca was firstly invented for hunting. So they used ayahuasca to hunt animals. Then they started to use it for healing and all the other properties. And uh, it was an interesting experience because when shaman's assistant blew it to my nose, I felt like something hit my head strong. I felt like, whoa, yeah, <laughs> like really, yeah. really strong. It was painful. And then like, I started to tearing and uh, it was cleaning my face. And after that, there was just clarity. My mind never mm. been so clear. I was like, whoa, the perception of reality was so clear. And uh, it was mm-hmm. an amazing experience. And I started to look, where can I purchase it? My intention to use it was to work and concentrate better because I really struggled with focusing. A lot of women have this problem. It's just like the way we built because our mind physically is built to be able to work and take care of kids and do a lot of different things. That's why it's always everywhere. So it's really hard to focus. And uh, my intention Mm -hmm. was to get this tobacco in order to be more productive. But 
it took me a while. Then I learned that also meditation can help. And I started just to meditate more. I get more into yoga. And then eventually I found shaman in Montreal who has this different rapé kinds. And uh, he asked mm. me what's my intention. And he sent me three different types. I don't remember what are those. I never tried it still. The reason why. At the same time, my husband and I, we started to visit Naturopath because we are planning to have kids and we want them to be healthy and like, prepared to have mm. it all like natural conception and healthy pregnancy. And uh, Naturopath gave us a list of things we should do and not to do. And one of the things was to exclude red meats, exclude alcohol, sauna, all the toxins, including tobacco. We never mm. smoked. I was about to start working with Rappé. And then he says, no tobacco. And I'm like, hmm, finally I found it. It took me two years to find this Rappé. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I'm about to start. Uh -huh. But my doctor told me not to because we are getting ready for pregnancy. And uh, I talked to sure. another girl who is shaman in Ukraine and she said, oh, no worries. It just works different way. It doesn't affect your lungs. It, it stays on your mucus in your nose right and i i was looking for third opinion before started using that so i would love to ask your opinion on side effect if there is any toxicity and can it be used before pregnancy what do you think about that right so yeah not a doctor have to yeah. say that yeah. first of course Absolutely. but i'm happy to share my opinion mm -hmm. my strong instinct is that it's what your friend from the ukraine mentioned is mm -hmm. probably accurate in this case that it's a completely different pathway in the body and my own experience is using it for a few years now i don't notice any side effects that seem to come mm -hmm. from it i would point to its continued use in the Amazon for a long time. I mean, I think we can't say exactly how long, but for at least hundreds of years, there's evidence going back at least almost a thousand years for it. Actual evidence that we've dug up, finding it in, in burial sites and stuff like that. So it's been used for a while. And again, I liken it to a medicine, like what we were talking about earlier, when we talk about the harmful effects of tobacco. We're talking about tobacco that is, yes, like inhaled through the lungs and held into the lungs. It's also not good quality plant and it's grown with pesticides and it's mixed with what they say, like 420 chemicals in your average yeah. cigarette, you know, something like that. Even the filter itself is garbage. It's made out of garbage material and a cigarette, you know, the filter, which is supposed to filter out anything harmful yeah. is made out of garbage. So that's my instinct, of course, is that it's a non-harmful thing. That being said, I think it's probably up to each person to decide whether they resonate with using it or if you resonate with using it while you're trying to get pregnant or something. You know, I, I can't tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. I, all I can share is my instinct on it. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think, I, I do know at least that there's a huge distinction between not only the type of tobacco that is used, but also between the method, the pathways in the body. It right. never enters the lungs. It, it doesn't reach any of the areas that, that get cancer, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not in the mouth or the lips or the throat or the lungs. Mm -hmm. So that's my non-medical yeah. take. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And I yeah, also, sure. I remember reading book, uh, Cosmic Serpent, and it's about uh, tribes living in uh, Peru, I think in Peruvian, somewhere there near Amazon River. 
and it's very ancient mm -hmm. uh, tradition and they use tobacco since the kids are born they blow in tobacco into their stomachs and they heal some crazy illnesses mm -hmm. there is a certain ways how they right. heal people and uh, tobacco is mentioned as really powerful tool to help people yeah intention means a lot as well and mm -hmm. i think what's most important for me to mention is just i feel it would be remiss for me not to mention that these are sacred plants to certain indigenous cultures so as foreigners to the tradition, for example, as Westerners or as white people or however you want to identify, I just think it's important to make sure that if you are interested in any sort of plant medicine, to show respect for the people that have discovered this medicine and have kept this medicine sacred for so long. So mm -hmm. to make sure that you're trying to buy it from a company or from organizations that directly give back to the people that they're getting it from. And just to show respect that way is, is I think, important. Absolutely. Yeah. And another question I have about rapé is that in Vedanta, in yoga, they teach you not to use any stimulants or plants or food, which in any way changes your consciousness. So they don't mm -hmm. drink coffee, they don't uh, eat garlic or onions because it stimulates mind. They don't drink alcohol, don't do any type of drugs. And uh, I really get so much into yoga. And also my question was like, well, mm -hmm. if I want to get on that path, how is Rapa there? Does it change your consciousness or it just clears your consciousness? Right. That's a good question too. So it depends which advaita vedanta teacher you're listening to as well as far as that info that you shared mm -hmm. so yeah they don't believe in all the consciousness altering drugs of any kind or whatever on the same side there um like one of the most famous vedanta teachers of of the modern age you know sri nisargadatta was constantly seen with a cigarette in his hand you know, and he was always smoking a cigarette and people would all people would always ask him, like, what are you doing? I thought you can't do that. And he would call them out as being trapped in the, the illusion by even asking that question and even judging him for his cigarette smoke or whatever. So it's a complicated issue, I suppose, you know, to what extent you want to really not do anything like TV is a stimulant. You yeah. know what I mean? Working on the computer Instagram. is a stimulant. So I. Yeah, Instagram is a stimulant. So I guess in, in some way, we're all choosing what works for us. I generally stay away from consciousness altering substances more and more in my life. And I try mm -hmm. to find the ways that I'm used to them and challenge myself to live without them. But in my experience, Rapé doesn't alter my consciousness mm -hmm. at all. As I said earlier, it's kind of just more grounding and clearing and mm -hmm. cleansing. And I also am open to the fact that like I said, for me, it's this sort of dance between really embracing the non-dual philosophy and trying to bring self-inquiry to its completion and really explore my consciousness that way. But also, basically for me, what it is, is choosing the role that I'm going to play here in this illusion and <laughs> choosing it mindfully, knowing that I have to choose something and really not being afraid to go all in on that yeah. role. So for me, it means allowing myself to experience some of the things of life, knowing mm -hmm. that part of that's got to be true. And mm -hmm. there's plenty of Advaita Vedanta teachers that would like would disagree with that and say that I'm distracting myself from the, the ultimate 
seeking of truth. But there's also this there's this inherent problem with a lot of Advaita Vedanta teachers that like, why would we come here if the only meaning is to transcend it, right? I, I do think that, you know, and, and my teacher also points that out, is like, you got to play a role while mm -hmm. you're here. Even if your role is to only study Vedanta and then teach Vedanta, you're still teaching. And teaching is assuming that there's anything to teach or there's anything to, to learn. And a pure Vedantist would say there's nothing to learn, you know? <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> so true, we get into yeah. all these sort of like, right? These sort of complex contradictions that for me, I've just come to this realization that both can be true at the same time, that I can explore mm -hmm. these human things while also not being attached to them fully Absolutely. as the only truth. I think that's yeah. what it really, and it connects to that Zen proverb that like before enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood chop and wood carry, and water, carry water, water, right? It connects to that for me. It's like, you know what, at the end of the day, you might have that realization one day where you go, oh my gosh, it's all an illusion, you know, and the material world <laughs> is not everything there is. And there's something much bigger. And I am not who I thought I was, right? You know, I am the witness of it all and not necessarily the, the person having the experience. But after that, what do you do? Do you commit suicide because you, you've attained the ultimate thing, you know, and there's nothing else to do? Like, of course, you still have to like wake up and put your pants on and pay bills and, and go about life. You just do it from a different perspective, right? Yeah. Rather than being locked into the identity. I'm able to play the role of Nicholas and like really jump into that role, but also know that it's just a role and just like be, I'm an actor in a big stage, you know, rather than really get locked into like, I'm Nicholas and I'm suffering and it's so hard, <laughs> you know, it's just, I'm still Nicholas. I'm still going about my day. I just see it differently you know mm -hmm. I just have an understanding of it that's a bit different so that's my take on whether it's plant medicine and working with rape or like even if you want to go and like be a rock star and do a bunch of cocaine and drink alcohol and sleep with a bunch of people you know like whatever you decide you want to do and, and I know I know people that are pretty deep students of Advaita Vedanta that do some of that stuff mm -hmm. but I think they do it from a, a different perspective almost. It's not how I want to live my life necessarily. Yeah. But again, it's just like your approach to life, right? How you operate in the illusion. And are you able to see that at the end of the day, it really is all just a show? So to Absolutely. Speak. Yeah. I think a good answer to this question is just do what's good for you and always reflect, go inside and mm -hmm. ask yourself, does it serve me? Or does it make my life and relationship with other people only worse? Write right. your diary every day. And actually in Advaita Vedanta, in yoga, there is five points of yoga, which I'm currently writing posts on Instagram about each of them. And there mm. is a proper breathing, proper exercise, a meditation, proper diet, and proper relaxation. And I was writing about... Uh, proper diet yesterday and I was looking through my notes from the book and they have the, all this recommendation that food supposed to be taken from the first hand not from the second hand which means first hand is directly from the ground sun is a source of energy and that's what plants are feeding mm -hmm. on and from the fertile soil and then you take this and eat directly versus second hand which is meats eggs, fish, this is secondhand because 
animals eat plants mm -hmm. and then we eat animals and there is also like a third hand which is animals which eat animals which we don't eat for example we don't uh -huh. eat wolves right because they eat yeah. deer so it's already third hand uh -huh. so we don't eat that but we still okay. eat meat so they are very particular about diet but there is a big notes of mine on the top of this from my yoga teacher he said do what is good for you and be a good negotiator or something he said say these recommendations because this is a certain truth about that but tell them to do what's good for them everybody knows and not everybody is ready to yeah. cut off alcohol yet or cut off meat completely and uh, maybe it's not time yet. And uh, I think the key is moderation. Everything is good in moderation, whether it's tobacco or coffee or meat or anything else. And uh, also what's really helpful is detox days. For example, mm. I started to practice fasting on the weekends and the way I did it uh, the first three weeks it was a Saturday raw diet. I would eat everything what is raw. So it could be nuts, fruits, vegetables, salads made of all these three things, everything, but raw, nothing cooked. So no tea or coffee, everything is raw. Sunday, it would be mono raw, which means one thing at a time. So I had nuts. Mm -hmm. Then I need to wait at least 30 minutes before I have strawberries and so on. And right. I did it for three weeks. Then I switched to the next level, which is uh, Saturday is monaro and Sunday is fasting. So it's only water. And then I'll go mm -hmm. to the next level in a couple of weeks, which is Saturday will be fasting on water only. And Sunday, nothing at all. It's dry fast, no water, nothing. And like, there is a certain levels of that. I'm just at the beginning, but I really love it because it helps you to disconnect from all these desires of food and cravings and absorb your body and also your mind because your mind is always like, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. And then like in the end, your mm -hmm. mind realizes that it only causes struggles. You're not going to have it anyways. And sure. then it starts to collaborate with you and you write down intention on Friday that you're going to fast and your mind it's amazing. Last couple of weekends on Sundays when I'm on water only, I have no cravings. I don't even want food. And I was yeah. like, wow, how is it even possible? It's amazing. And uh, I, I really feel great, more energy, and uh, I have less of these cravings and more understanding of what is really good for me and what is not good for me. So I really yeah. suggest it to a lot of people. And even if you decide to do rapé or drink coffee or drink alcohol, just have these detox days. So you really reset your body to understand better mm -hmm. if it's good for you or bad. Because sometimes you even you want to hear your body, but you're not able to hear it yet. So it's a good exercise to find this intuitive connection. Sure. Intuitive connection. Yeah, it comes down to choosing for yourself, right? There's nothing inherently more mindful about eating a salad versus eating a donut you know it really is like the intention that you bring to either like we have this tendency to glorify salad and, and villainize donuts and i yeah. have that tendency in my own life too when, I, when, mm -hmm. it, when health and diet became more important to me i got exclusive in some ways and started to really villainize and demonize certain mm -hmm. foods as like oh no that's processed sugar it's terrible and i still do that in a lot of ways but what i'm realizing more and more is 
it's up to each person to be, like you said, conscientious about mm-hmm. what is going into their body and paying attention to how it feels. And like, who am I to say if I notice that I don't really feel good if I eat too many donuts, but if you eat a lot of donuts and you're mindful while you're eating them and you enjoy it and you don't notice anything bad and it gives you energy, then who am I to say that donuts yeah. are bad and salad is good? Same thing about the teacher with the cigarette. I don't know whether he was always smoking a cigarette just to sort of trigger people and mm. therefore show them how trapped they are in judgment and you know mm. all that kind of stuff. Or if he's just like, yeah, I don't give a damn. I see through the, I see through the illusion and I'm going to smoke and do whatever I want. You know, yeah. either way, it doesn't matter. He found his expression of truth here in this role that he's living. And that's kind of what we're all supposed to do, right? The last thing I would want anybody to do, you know, no offense, Olga, but the last thing I'd want anybody to do is to just listen to you or just listen to me, right? It's like, maybe we can Absolutely. inspire people to, to be open to exploring and discovering their own truth, but mm-hmm. yeah, don't take it from me. Right. What do yeah, I Yeah. Yeah. We're not experts. <laughs> We're not doctors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm only Absolutely. an expert. I'm only an expert in my own experience, you know, yeah. in my own truth. Mm-hmm. And, and I can draw on things that I've seen from people around me and clients that I've worked with. But at the end of the day, I'll only ever be an expert in my own reality. Right. Yeah and help what you have done for yourself. That's what you expert on. If you overcame anxiety and depression, and you know the way of healing without any pharmaceutical things, which takes away your health because there is so many side effects, you are expert in knowing the natural way of getting there through this path. And uh, for me, for example, I'm expert of how to find this balance and harmony and peace and uh, is embrace this femininity and uh, help men next to me to open his masculinity. And this is what I am expert mm. on, but this is just my expertise. It may not work for everyone. Sure. No, it's, it's great. I'm glad that you're sharing it with us too. Thank you. That's been amazing. I really loved all this content and I can't wait to share it. And could you please tell us where our listeners can find you and learn more about your practices? and uh, your uh, product. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, along with what I said earlier about like limiting a lot of external input and noise, I keep my social media pretty limited. So I'm, I'm only on Instagram as well. I joined Clubhouse recently. I'm going to check that out maybe, but um, I'm on Instagram as uh, at the wave and the ocean. That's where my community is. And that's where most of my sharing and teachings are happening. And so you can find me through there. And also, if you want to go directly to my website to learn more about me or my healing work, that's waveandocean.com. So those are the two places. And yeah, you can find also, you know, we were talking about the CBD oil. You'll find a link for that on my Instagram. Mm -hmm. And if you use the code wave, you'll save 15% in case you're interested in checking that out. But yeah, I always direct people straight to my Instagram at the wave and the ocean. And I'm always responding to my DMs. Sometimes it takes me a few days to get Mm -hmm. to them. So be patient if you do say hi, but please say hi, stop by. And if you resonate with the community, yeah, give us a follow and join. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much for being in our space. It's really been amazing. Thank you, Olga. Thanks for the great (laughs) questions. I enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Much love. Bye-bye.